The one true God is indeed holy and awesome. Here at Elmhurst CRC, we're taking three weeks in messages uh, to dive into God's identity and his work, his job description as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. Basically heard how the job of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus Christ. If you ever find your heart or affections drawn to Jesus or attention drawn to Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit. Next week on American Father's Day, um, we'll dive deep into what is the work of God the Father. And on this Sunday, with the signs of God's grace right in front of our eyes, uh, Andy and I together are going to talk about the gospel of Jesus. What is it that Jesus does? What is his job description as the Son of God? Now, as human beings, our job descriptions are all over the place. Right? A month ago, literally every member of my little four-person family was kind of looking for a job. I have a son who just turned 16. He was applying for his first job. I had a daughter who was living across the Atlantic. She was applying for jobs back here for when she got back to the States. My wife, who works in a hospital system, was interviewing for a lateral shift within that system. And I was uh, embroiled in some conversations with our search team about what was going to happen in the future here. And sitting here a month later, we all have new jobs in my family. It's a little crazy. So none of us knows what we're doing, right? We have kind of this nice experience that all of us, we're getting used to something new that we don't quite understand or have our minds or arms wrapped all the way around yet. Um, this is how we are as human beings. There's not perfect integrity between who we are and what we do. It takes some time to grow into stuff, and we, we never do perfectly. It's not that way with God. When we say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that is both a perfect description of who he is as the second member of the Trinity and what he does. It's an identity and a work that is fundamentally defined by Jesus' relationship to God the Father, a relationship that is all about trust and mutual respect and obedience. Now, even humanly speaking, uh, in the love that we enjoy in families, there are moments between parents and children where we enjoy respect and trust and obedience. Lord willing. Right? But I'm confident of this. Uh, later today, I could call either of my kids on the phone and, like, if something, if an emergency was happening and I got on the phone and said to them, I need you to drop everything, go to the corner of York and Butterfield and meet me now, they would do it. Like, they, hopefully you won't ask me 12 questions. Well, what's going on? <laughs> like, <clears throat> there's a tone of voice that a parent can use where the children understand, now is the time to do exactly what my parent is asking. No questions. Jesus Christ got a similar call from God the Father. I don't know what happened in the throne room of heaven. Words were not necessary, but to put words around it, it went something like this. Humanity, the universe, is in desperate trouble because of sin. I need you, Jesus, to come to the corner of humanity and divinity. I need you to become one of them while remaining one of us. 
I need you to live a perfect life. I need you to die a sinless, sacrificial death. And then I need you at just the right time to come back to life. And in so doing, unleash the infectious power of our life and love back into the whole universe. Jesus did not ask questions. He did not think twice. Just like the kid who will drop everything when they hear that voice in the throat of their parent, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but dropped everything and trusted the will of his Father. And in so doing, he is the only begotten Son of God. He's perfect. It's who he is, and it's what he does. Now to describe for us in some beauty and detail, Andy is going to tell us about how and what Christ does for us. So when I started looking at this idea of the job description of Jesus, and I started to look at how Jesus shows trust in the Father, I got really excited. And I was struck by what I have come to refer to as the four cups of Christ. In the scriptures, at the time of Jesus' death, he is offered four cups. The cup of invitation, the cup of obedience, the cup of temptation, and the cup of victory. Now, you might be asking yourself, how does this help us understand Jesus' job description? And here's how. Think about the cups that you've been handed in life. Let me offer you a few ideas. Now, I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and we go on a winter camp and a winter retreat every single winter. And each time, at some point throughout that trip, I am offered a cup by one of them. It has approximately three different types of soda pop in it, one coffee creamer, part of the meal, um, way too much hot sauce for any stomach lining to handle, and then you gotta top it off with salt and pepper because you gotta have some good flavor to it, right? Okay, this is the cup that I get offered. And I wanna tell you, this, my friends, is an example of not a good cup. This is a cup that no one in the world could ever possibly want to accept and should definitely not be trusted. So what is a good cup? I think about my son, when he asks me for a cup of water at bedtime. When I hand it to him, he doesn't check the contents to make sure that it is in fact water, he trusts me. Or perhaps an even better example of my daughter when she's sick and she needs a cup of medicine. She may be resistant to it because it tastes yucky, but because she knows that I have the best plan in mind, she trusts and accepts and goes forward with having it. This is the exact idea is what we see play out in the scriptures. Jesus came to earth to be obedient to his father, to trust his father's plan, to put into play the rescue plan, to die for our sins, and in doing so, break the plan of hell and restore us back to right relationship with God. And it all has to do with four cups. The first cup, the cup of invitation. We find this first cup in the hands of Jesus at the Last Supper. If you remember a few weeks back, Pastor Greg spoke on this. After Jesus had taken bread and he had broken it, saying, This is my body broken for you, he took the cup, filled it with wine, and passed it to his disciples, saying, This is my blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The first cup is Jesus inviting us into the rescue plan, saying, Take this cup which at that time was a sign of a desired engagement. And in doing so, accept 
that I am going to buy you at the highest price that anyone could ever pay. My very own blood and broken body, my life. In this moment, Jesus clues all the disciples in and you and I into the rescue plan that his father desired to put us back into right relationship with him is now in motion. And we find the second cup, the cup of obedience. It's found in the prayer that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' words to his father are these, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He prays a second and a third time with these words, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Just like my daughter, Jesus displays the cup of medicine that I give to her. He trusts and is obedient to his Father, knowing that what will come when he drinks the cup, the world that he created, the world that is now broken, the world full of his children, would become the world that was being rescued, the world that was being put back into right relationship with God. The third cup, the cup of temptation. We find the third cup when Jesus reaches the top of the hill called Calvary. He has been beaten, mocked, wrongfully accused. His disciples have abandoned him. He is stripped of all of his clothes and humiliated among the people. And this is when Jesus is offered a cup of wine mixed with myrrh and gall. This is what today we would refer to as a, a narcotic. It's like a cup of morphine for the pain. It was prepared by those who loved him and wished Jesus not to have to suffer as much. Jesus is now offered the cup of temptation to dull the senses, to take the edge off. Again, it's prepared by loving hands who cared for him in this moment, but Jesus refuses to dull what is happening. Jesus refuses not to be fully present as he becomes the perfect sacrifice in our place, the key component to the rescue that God had planned to bring us back into right relationship with him. And the final cup, the cup of victory. The fourth cup is offered to Jesus while he's on the cross. Now at this point, he'd been on the cross for a few hours. He's had a conversation with a thief and extended grace and forgiveness to him, inviting the thief to join him in paradise. He has spoken to his mother Mary and cried out in anguish, asking why his father would forsake him. Jesus' body had become weakened, and in his heavy breathing has dried lips and throat and mouth. Look at what happens next. Let me show you John 19, verses 28 through 30. It says this, Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And here's the victory. Jesus cries out in a loud voice, it is finished, signifying the completion of our debt of sin. Jesus cried out not as a man dying, but with revitalized senses and wet lips, mouth, and throat, so that he didn't whisper, but proclaimed loudly the end of debt of sin, the abolishment of even death itself. Jesus cries out that all has been paid. 
and with that willingly says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Not defeated, not broken, but victorious. The rescue plan is complete, the temple veil torn in two, and we now have the ability to be in right relationship with God, our Father in heaven. As I read this, and I looked more and more into what this means, this fourth cup that allows Jesus' body to speak loudly again, I have to be honest, I was convicted of my own thoughts of Christ. I all too often think of Jesus as he died sort of wasting away, weakened. But that's just not the truth of the power of Christ willingly laying down his own life for me. He didn't just die for my sins. Instead, he invited us into the rescue plan. He chose to trust the Father and be obedient. He resisted temptation to do anything other than pay the full price for our sins. And he victoriously proclaimed, it is finished. I thought I would leave you with this thought. I found that you can learn a lot from studying. And studying is good and should be done. But sometimes I find that I can learn a lot from kids. This week we had VBS here. We had 100 plus, maybe even more kids running around for vacation Bible school. And the theme was, Jesus is my superhero. And how true is that, right? For a little kid to recognize that. My son, for many, many years now, Eli, he's five years old. And at the end of every prayer that he prays, he gets really excited and yells out this phrase. Amen. I agree. I love you, Jesus. Hulk smash Iron Man blast. <laughs> And he jumps up and down, super pumped. It's really incredible for my wife and I when we're in a restaurant and he does this. <laughs> but I asked him, I asked him why he ends his prayers like this. And this is so beautiful in his response. Daddy, God's big and strong. And I know that these superheroes are big and strong and nothing can stop them. And it helps me to remember that God is unstoppable. This is such a beautiful way of seeing the job description of Jesus Christ. He's big. He's strong. He came to earth to conquer death. But what made him unstoppable in his trust and obedience to the Father was his incredible, never-stopping, never-ending love that he has for you and for me. And that is truly the best thing of all the end of each time we're together as a youth group, I end with this statement, and I believe that it could not be any truer today, and it is this, that you are loved by the staff and the pastors here, by your neighbors and friends sitting around you, your family members, but most important of all, you are loved by God, who spoke the very ground that you walk on into existence for the express purpose of having a relationship with you, and nothing would stop his love, even sending his very own son to the cross. Thank you for pointing us to the awesome work of Jesus Christ, brother. Jesus indeed is the perfect son of God. Drank every cup God put in front of him. And now in front of us, as his followers, there are two cups that are waiting for us. Because God's love is so large, one of the cups is really big. 
Seriously. <laughs> the waters of baptism, they represent the washing away of our sins, but especially when there is this much water and the cup is this big, they represent that when we are united with Christ, our old sinful self is plunged beneath the waters and that in God's enormous love, we rise up as new creations. This is God's cup for you and me. Now in this life, sometimes I like to say that our old sinful nature is a really good swimmer. Because in the eternal perspective, our old nature is going to die beneath that water. But as long as we're on this side of heaven, anytime we, <laughs> through succumbing to temptation or lack of discipline, allow our old nature a little quick sip of air at the top of the water, that old sinful nature can swim so well and it will just start pounding our redeemed self. One way to see this Christian life is that God does all the work in putting to death our sinful nature. He just needs a little cooperation from us to help keep our old selves underwater until we get to the other side. Claire, I hope you remember this day every day for the rest of your life. But until you get to heaven, your old sinful nature is going to want to get your head above water and whatever temptations are part of your sinful nature, like it's still there until we get to heaven. But God has provided the water to wash away our sin and ultimately totally do the job. Now to help us, to strengthen us, to empower us because we still are walking around with these infected machines, God gives us this meal, this food. I can't even describe to you the mystery of how this works, only that the Bible says it works, that when we come to Jesus' table and remember him and expand our imagination and mind and heart, that it works in helping to redeem us. So the cup of Christ, the blood of Christ is here in front of you today. And if you are desiring to take another step and follow Jesus, this table is for you. If you are baptized into Christ, 